0: Thank you for tuning in to Wove Inspiration Podcast with host Althea Richardson. Wove stands for Women of Vision and Excellence, and the mission is to inspire, encourage, and uplift women and the men who love them to becoming all they were predestined to be. And it starts with restoration. So excited to have this special guest on my show today. His name is John Giordano. It is by no accident that John Giordano chose addiction and mental health treatment as his life's work. Growing up the son of a heroin dealer and trying to cope with the trauma of being molested as a young boy, he fell hard into drugs and alcohol. Over 35 years ago, at the urging of his family, John entered rehab. He emerged as a changed man and committed to helping others afflicted by this terrible disease. John, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Well, it's always my pleasure to talk with anybody who would listen so I maybe can help at least one person. I'd be very happy. Absolutely. So you have done a lot. I was really,
0: I mean, reading over your bio and First of all, it is an amazing story that you have and all of the research that you've been doing on addiction and mental health. But I'm sure that before all of this took place, things were not so good for you. So, John, tell me a little bit about your lifestyle as well as how it was for you growing up.
1: Well, you know, growing up... uh, (laughs) it was kind of crazy but you know like i like you said earlier my father was a heroin dealer my uh, my family was kind of like a mafia family uh, bank robbers hitmen. um you know you know if you ever watch the sopranos people ask me to watch the sopranos yeah uh i said no 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 i i lived that i don't want to watch that wow okay. um uh, and when i was eight my father went to jail um, for um, they got busted. His uncle turned him in because he got busted and he turned my father in. So he went for four years. At eight and a half, I got molested by some boys in the neighborhood. Uh, That messed me up. And then at nine, I got molested by uh, my babysitter. Um, And I carried that and I went to the church and I thought I had some evil inside of me. And I went to the priest and he says, no, John, just do 10-hour Mar- fathers and three early Marys and You'll be fine. Well, that didn't work so well. <laughs> so, you know, and, um, you know, I gained weight. And, uh, and you know, that, that's what a lot of people, I think, go through to protect yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. And I joined gangs when I was a kid. I was from the South Bronx and Harlem, so I was an inner city kid. And um, I went through all of that with the gangs and stuff. Then I wound up uh, eventually getting out of the gangs. I joined karate and um let me tell you it changed my life and i took all that anger and all that stuff and you know i I wrote my my life story and by the way also i only went to the ninth grade so i always was insecure i got left back in the sixth grade for being a class clown and uh, that was a little traumatic also um watching all my friends go to the seventh grade and i was still in the sixth grade Mm -hmm. but um what happened is i joined karate class and uh it just changed my life for a while. And um, that's why I wrote this book, by the way, before I get any further, The Kid from the South Bronx Who Never Gave Up. And I wrote it to help people, to show them no matter what kind of family you come from, no matter what education you have, no matter if you've been molested or not, or how far down you know the pike you went of life, um, you can still turn it around and... And make something of yourself. Absolutely. So what happened was uh, around um, around 20 years old, I met this girl, and um, I started using drugs. She was using, I was using, you know, went through the, I'm just going to make it real quick what went on. Then we wind up getting married. Of course, two addicts getting married. That's a, it's a wonderful idea. <laughs> not. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's like two empty shells trying to make a hole. Yeah. Doesn't work. Anyway, um, my, uh, one of my relatives threw the wedding and um, he was a hitman. And uh, the caterer insulted my uncle, or my family member, in front of the, the family. And uh, the next morning, he killed him. Wow. So we had to wind up leaving town real quick the next day because the police were coming to my grandmother's house looking for him. And there's a whole story behind that, too. Read the book, and you'll find out. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, I just don't even know how to say it. And anyway, um, as life went on, I went from one drug to another drug to another drug, just like most people. Um, I became a karate champion, a judo champion. Um, I, I did a lot of stuff even while I was using. Um, I threw the James Brown concert in uh, 1981. Uh, back in Liberty City in Overtown, that's in the African-American community. And just right after the riots, and nobody wanted to go into that community. Mm -hmm. I was working for Flea Market USA. Uh, I had about 500 businesses under one roof. And what I did was I went around to the community, to all the deacons and all the pastors. And then I'm I'm dancing in the churches with everybody and singing and, you know, uh, inviting them to come to the opening of the flea market and, what I did was the theme of the market what I came up with is to help revitalize Liberty City and overtown okay. so other people could come into the into the city and shop because nobody wanted to go into that community they were afraid so meanwhile I, I decided to call to send a letter to the White House to ask President Reagan to come to the grand opening of the flea market so everybody laughed at me of course mm. And um, they said, John, the president is not coming to a flea market opening. I said, Well, you'd be surprised. You know, we're revitalizing Liberty City and overtown. And, you know, I got James Brown coming here. And so we we did a concert in front of, there was, a, so I got a letter back from the White House. And matter of fact, it's on my website if you want to see all the stuff in James Brown. It's John, the initial J, So if you go there, you'll you'll see all the stuff I'm talking about, because most people don't believe what you tell them anyway. (laughs) So uh, I always like showing pictures. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, um, they sent them representative. They said, sorry, the president couldn't come to the scheduling. And they sent Carrie Meeks. Carrie Meeks at the time was a state representative later to become a senator. She went around, you know, asking about me. Of course, they don't just, you know, send anybody. They want to know who you are and what you're about and what you did. And and meanwhile, she found out all the things I was doing in the community because I was also teaching martial arts in the community and actually getting kids off the street. Meanwhile, I was doing drugs myself. Um, And um, she went to the Martin Luther King Foundation and they presented me with the Martin Luther King Award on stage in front of 60,000 people. Wow, that is awesome. It was like wild. Now, at that point of my using, I wasn't out of control. I was uh, using on the weekend, maybe once in a while, I might use on the week, during the week, and I was doing cocaine and smoking pot and, you know, things like that. But as time went on, and this is what happens to most people, my addiction started to get out of hand and out of control. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wound up doing, I was doing collection work for the smugglers. Uh, I was selling drugs. Uh, I was doing all kinds of stupid things, which most addicts and alcoholics do. And um, you wind up getting divorced, of course. And I got divorced again. Uh, Matter of fact, I got divorced three times and I'm married four times. And I'm with my current wife, 26 years. Hey, that's good. But that's because I was in recovery.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And anyway, my family did an intervention away and I told you who my family was. I'm wondering who's doing an intervention on them. (laughs) Uh, So uh, my mother said she won't talk to me anymore. So I said, okay, I'll go to treatment. So I had some Coke in my sock. I went into the bathroom. Did a couple of bumps, a couple of hits of the Coke. I went upstairs. And anyway, I went to treatment. And I said to myself, what am I doing here? And it was around Christmas time. It was December 4th is my clean date. And I says, you know, I'm in group and this therapist tells me you gotta share some of your stuff. I said, if I share some of my stuff, I'll probably have to kill you. <laughs> and I says, and besides, I wouldn't even get high with you people. You know, I was the nastiest guy I've ever wanted because I don't want to be there. And I always had my 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 bags packed. I was ready to leave all the time. Yeah. Every time I wind up leaving to the elevator. Somebody would pull me back, John. Why don't you just talk to us for a few minutes? And they pull me back in, and I'd stay. And but anyway, um, you know, uh, they asked me, you know, what religion or what, what, what do you believe in? I says, look, I'm a recovering Catholic. <laughs> you know, uh, a God. I don't know what what you want to call God. Yeah. You know,
0: yeah.
1: And that's how I was, in, in, at that moment in time in treatment, because you know, uh, addicts and alcoholics. And people with other behaviors that have addictive behaviors, sex, uh, uh, gambling, spending addiction, um, all kinds of different things that people get out of balance with. I just didn't believe in myself, so I don't believe in anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't trust me, so why should I trust you? You know, and God, oh. Uh, Look at the kids that are starving and look at this and look at that. And look what he did to me. Sure. You know, addicts, we blame everybody except looking at ourselves. Yeah. And we don't only use drugs and alcohol or the behaviors. We we abuse people, places, and things, not just drugs and alcohol. So we abuse everybody, including ourselves. Yeah. So anyway, I um, I remember I wanted to go home during Christmas Eve and they wouldn't let me. And the reason, I said, look, I'm going to go see my children. I don't want them to see me here. I was lying. (laughs) The reason I wanted to go home was because my friends would come over and give me a Christmas card with Coke in it.
0: Wow, okay.
1: So, anyway, they said no. So, I don't know about anybody that's listening to this, but I didn't just get angry. I got rageful.
0: Yeah.
1: And it didn't just go away. So, I ran into my room. I punched the door. I'm pissed off and I'm, you know, I want to leave and I'm saying and I'm hurting because I was in treatment now about almost three weeks. And I started to clear up and realize all the harm I did to me and everybody else. And I, I, I still had the drugs tugging at me, but I still I just started to feel again. Mm-hmm. Which when you in your addiction, you don't really feel uh at least you think you're feeling, but you're not. And, and uh, so what wind up happening, I remember my therapist saying to me, hey, John, do you ever get on your knees and pray? So I, I remember telling him, what are you, a joke? I said, I'm, I'm a recovering Catholic. I went to Catholic school. That's all we did was get on our knees. So he said to me, well, how about for humility? I said, yeah, okay. even mean God doesn't listen? How about if I'm standing in the closet? Does he hear me then? You know? Yeah. But anyway, I was hurting so much. I was starting to feel all this pain and anguish and fear and remorse and guilt and all kinds of stuff that was going. I was so confused. I didn't know what my feelings were or my thoughts were. But what ended up happening was I said, well, let me get on my knees. So I went to get my one knee down, and this is the truth. I could not put it down. Now, it may sound stupid to you guys, but I'm just telling you I couldn't put my knee down. I had to push it down. Mm. Then I had to push my other knee down. And for the first time in my life, all right, I asked whoever was out there, whatever it is, I'll do whatever you want. Please get rid of all this pain and anguish and guilt and shame and all this shit that I was carrying in me.
0: Yeah.
1: And it went away. It went away, just like it never was there. And I couldn't believe this, so I try to get it back. Well, it didn't come back.
0: Yeah.
1: And here I am, and I'm saying to myself, "What the? What's going on?" You know. And I, from that moment on, I have what I call a spiritual awakening. Mm-hmm. And you know, I had another one in there also. And um, just before you leave, they put you in a uh, in what is called exiting. Exiting is when the nurses, the doctor, the therapist, they all get into a room. You sit in there, and then they let you know if you have to go to long-term treatment. You need more treatment or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I didn't want to go to long-term treatment. You know, uh, I was feeling better, and I feel like I was cured, which is baloney. <laughs> but anyway, um, I'm sitting there, and they say, oh, John's doing so much better. The therapist is here. Yeah, he's engaging now. He's sharing in group. And. And then the head doctor, she said, he's full of shit. Well, let me tell you something. You can take the kid out of the inner city, but you can't take uh, the inner city out of the kid. (laughs) And I just blew up. I said, you, I cursed at her. And, you know, I said to everybody, you know, I could kill all of you. You'd never be able to make it out of the room. And the doctor looked at me and said, John. All we want to do is help you. And I bust out crying, and I and I ran out of the room. And I I, I still feel the emotion yeah. because it was so – I humiliated myself so much, and, and, and reality hit me so hard that that was really the turning point in my recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I got out of treatment, and my wife at the time was still using – I got into the car, and she says, here, man, here, just do a bump. Just do one hit. You know, you haven't done it in a while. I says, are you crazy, man? I've been in treatment for six weeks because they gave me two extra weeks, by the way.
0: Okay.
1: And uh, I said, I'm not doing that. And, you know, they said, don't make any major changes, which I didn't uh, for about nine months. They said a year, but I couldn't take it anymore. She's using, and I'm not. And I was getting really crazy. You know, I had two little kids, and I didn't want to break up the family. I kept using the kids as an excuse, but the bottom line was, where was was I when I was using? I wasn't with the kids. I was on a run for two or three days at a time, coming back. Even when I was there, I wasn't there. So, you know, we we really, you know, bullshit ourselves with plain English. Mm -hmm. And so, I finally told my therapist, look, man, I can't handle this anymore. She says, okay. So, I got divorced. And then I wound up being homeless. She got the car she got the car she got the house she got everybody everything and a friend of mine had a a, a hotel that he owned and he had a room and he said look here here's a, here's a room that you get on your feet Here I am in a room with two beds um, a little warmer a little jar that I put quarters in when I had quarters somebody loaned me a bike and I'm here and I'm saying to myself what am I this is recovery this this sucks this is terrible. <laughs> you know, but my kids used to come, we all used to cry together and, and say, you know what, Daddy, what are you doing here? And, you know, and when, when I was out there, I was dealing drugs, I was making about 15000 a week, uh, you know, doing collection work. Doing, now I can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. So now I'm, I'm there. And um, it, it was really a tough time. Um, I, I'm not going to go into the whole story, I'm just going to go into the almost the end of the story sure sure listen and and, and i I opened up another treatment center i got cheated by my therapist and my doctor and i had a lot of stuff that i got betrayed by because i'm a street kid you screw with me i punch in the face (laughs) but now i'm in recovery i can't punch in the face (laughs) right right so you know usually normal people whatever that is they get lawyers you know so i didn't have any lawyers and i got cheated and all this other kind of stuff and Anyway, I, I went back to school. Um, I got my GED. I, I went to college and got 300 hours of, uh, uh, of um, addiction training. And um, I had to have 6,000 hours of on-the-job training, supervised. And I had to stay in the treatment center that I developed and got raised raise the money for that I got cheated out of. Wow. But they gave me uh, uh, the outpatient to work. They you know, they had the inpatient. They were making millions of dollars and I was making a salary. Wow. But I stayed anyway because where was I going to go?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, so as soon as I got my, um, my GED and I, I got my 6,000 hours, which was about, you know, three years, four years I had to stay there. I learned everything about the business. And um, I left. And there's some other stuff that happened in the area. You know, I was gonna beat up the guy that cheated me and I didn't. I just told him I was gonna rearrange his face where a plastic surgeon couldn't help him. Wow. If I didn't get my contract. So and I told him my uncle's gonna come down and blow your knees off. So anyway, that didn't happen. Uh, I got my contract. Three months later I left. They only gave me they gave me eighty thousand dollars, which was really a joke compared to what it really was worth. Of course. And um, then my friend said, uh, I have another friend that wants to open up a treatment center. I said, oh, he's, I, I says, uh, he needed a business plan. I says, okay, I don't know how to make a business plan. So I'll, I'll help you. So he helped me. I went to meet the guy in West Palm beach. I'm about a minute away, two minutes away from the, the meeting. And I forgot the damn business plan. So I can't leave. Like, I don't know whether to go forward, leave. I went forward. I told the guy, I forgot it. He threw a napkin at me. He says, Here. Just tell me what you need. So I did. We opened up another treatment center, and I got a year later. I got cheated again. Wow! Because he was a corporate raider. What they do is they get people that know what they're doing, run a business, you get it going, uh, get everything going. They put their people in place, and then they take it off from under you. I didn't have a lawyer again. So numbers a rock. Uh, that's what happened. And then I worked in a. a, a I worked in the. Uh, a non for profit 55-bed. Uh, I was the clinical director of a 55-bed indigent facility with, with people that had HIV, homeless, and uh, dual-diagnosed meaning they had a, a mental health issue and substance abuse. And it was a, an old TC, therapeutic community, where, you know, they, they beat you up in, in the middle of the room and they tear you down and they bill you back up. And I said to myself, this is stupid. Uh, I know one thing about myself. I don't need anybody tearing me apart because I do that good enough job on my own. Mm-hmm. And I didn't believe in that model. And it may work for some people, but for most, no. Yeah. Then we would feed them chocolates and sugars at lunchtime. They would act out about a half hour, 45 minutes later. We would put them on a bench. we put a sign around their neck. I mean, like stupid stuff. So I said, now nah, I got to get out of here. And then. I had um, this woman I was going out with Asked me to open up my own treatment center. I said, look, man, I don't want nothing to do with treatment centers. I'm tired. <laughs> She's no, 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 we'll open it up. I said, look, I only got $300 because I had a spending addiction. So I spent all the, you know, you know, when you get a kid that doesn't have any money, all of a sudden he's got a few dollars. He, you know, he thinks he's in a candy store. Right. So anyway, I opened it up with $300. I got a partner, uh, a friend of mine and uh He ran the business part because when he came in, I told him, look, I'll give you 50% of the company. He's all right, let me see your books. I said, what books? I used to take the money, put it in my pocket. And I said, look, they'll pay me the addicts. They said, yeah, okay. That ain't happening. (laughs) So I said, look, as long as I can make my bills and, you know, I can make a few dollars, I'm okay. So he took over the company and I did all the therapy. So did he. And then we had another, his son came. And he was a genius with the internet. We struggled for two or three years, having bill collectors chasing us and all kinds of stuff. People would laugh at me because I would give them vitamins and do different things that nobody else was doing. And uh, and looking at their gut and looking at their whole overall health, that could, things that cause depression and anxiety, like leaky gut syndrome, H. pylori infection, closed head injuries low testosterone, high testosterone, these all cause depression and anxiety. Okay. And um, heavy metals that cause neurotransmission disruption. In other words, in your brain where your, your neurons don't connect properly mm-hmm. and it, it mimics bipolar disorder and attention deficit disorder. So instead of throwing pills at people, I was giving them nutrients and showing them about exercising and doing karate classes with them and, you know, all kinds of things to to help them comprehensively, holistically. Mm -hmm. And anyway, uh, years later, in 2012, we sold it for uh, $45 million. We winded up with the the, the first little program was 750 square feet. We wound up having seven buildings, 147 employees, uh, and God blessed us beyond my wildest dreams.
0: Wow, wow, and wow. <laughs> That's all yeah. I can say. You, sir, are amazing and God has certainly used you in a mighty way. Cause I'm just I'm I'm just thinking you said you had a ninth grade level of education, and I'm looking at your degrees and certifications. And you can't tell me that God did not use you in a mighty way. Oh, it's absolutely.
1: Just, you know, in the first year all, and a half, I had God who was G-O-D, yes. Good Orderly Direction. Yeah. That was my God. And believe it or not, today, I'm a chaplain for the police department. I'm wow. a pastor. Uh, I'm in 77 medical and scientific peer-reviewed journals. I work with 20 to 25 universities, um, researchers, scientists, psychiatrists, clinicians, I lecture all over the world. Uh, listen, if you were to tell me this early on, I really would have punched you in the face. <laughs> I got to Yeah. yeah. yeah you, know, mean, I, I, I tell, you know, I mean, I tell you, when I got into the program, they said, you'll have a life beyond your wildest dreams. And I said to myself, this guy's a moron. <laughs> you know, a life beyond, what are you talking about? Don't you know where I come from, my family and I'm insecure. I don't even have an education. You know, but, hey. Yeah. Yeah. I changed.
0: Absolutely. John, what's missing in the treatment centers today?
1: Oh, my God. They're not treatment centers. They're warehouses. Yep. I hate to say it. Not all of them. I, I never say all of anything anyway. Unfortunately, the insurance companies are the ones that really run the treatment centers. That's true. And, and the bottom line is, we're not treating people comprehensively. We're supposed to be a medical model; model. it's a psychi- psychological model. Now, I'm not saying the psychological piece is valuable. Of course, it is. You have you have in a child work you have uh, you have trauma, um, you have family issues, you have life skills they have to learn, and you know, it all depends what populations you're treating. Um, there's so many things that need to be done. Addiction and mental health is like a mosaic. Uh There's many pieces to this picture. But one of the major pieces missing is, first of all, we're not looking at people medically. We're throwing pills at them. Okay? Oh, you have depression and anxiety. Take this pill. No, I want to know why I have depression and anxiety. Right. And it could be a number of reasons. It's not just one reason. What does that mean? What I said earlier, if you have a low thyroid, Guess what? I, I, by the way, your audience, I don't want you to believe a word I tell you. And I mean that. Go look it up. Yeah. I make it simple on people. Homie, don't play. Okay? Easy. So here's the deal. If you have a low thyroid, you're going to have depression and anxiety. Okay? If you have leaky gut syndrome or H. pyloria infection, that's in your gut. Your microbiome or your microbiota, if it's called. That's the flora in your gut, the bacteria in your gut. You're going to have depression and anxiety. Look it up. And most people don't know this. Dopamine and serotonin, those are the feel-good drugs mm-hmm. that we're, we're, we're running after with drugs and alcohol. Okay? is manufactured in your gut. It goes up what is called the vagus nerve. All right? And it deposits the dopamine and serotonin in your brain. Now, there's hypoglycemia. Low, low blood sugar. Now, alcoholics are famous for that. Remember, alcohol is sugar. Mm-hmm. Okay, they stop alcohol. What happens? They go into depression. They're in depression to begin with. That's why they drink. Right. So, then you have low testosterone or high testosterone can cause depression and anxiety. We're not looking at any of this stuff. You know, and then you know you need to get a micronutrient test. Now, what is that? Well, that's to see where are you deficient, okay, with nutrients in your body. Mm-hmm. And most addicts don't eat good food if they eat at all. What are they eating? Frozen food, you know, Burger King, uh, all the garbage that, all the processed food, all right. the junk. How do you think you listen? I tell you what, if you got it, if you got a car. And it runs on gasoline. Tell you what I do with you. Put diesel in there. Let me know how it goes. It's fuel. Won't work too well, would it? Not at all. (laughs) So what do you think you're doing to your body, man? Wow. And then we don't drink enough water. And what people, listen, you know what it's like? It's like trying to clean your pots and pans with a thimble full of water. (laughs) How well would that work? Not very well at all. Well, how do you think you're going to clean your body out with just a little water, with all the toxins that we ingest through our air, through our water, through our food supply? When addicts come into treatment, they're protein deficient and volume depleted. Mm -hmm. Proteins are the precursors for neurotransmission. Guys, this is simple stuff. Look it up. Exercise. Most addicts, the only exercise they do is with their finger on the button of the television. (laughs) If they have a television.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Sir, I am like (laughs) everything that you've just shared is things that I have thought about for many years because I worked in the uh, mental health field for a major clinic who is they are working towards helping those individuals that struggle not only with addiction, but also with mental health. And those two work together because you can't you, you can't work on just the addiction without actually going down t- into the root cause for them being an addic- being addicted to something in the first place. And well, and, and the yeah. other thing that that really and you touched on it so well is the insurance companies that are not they they allow, they only from what I understand they are only supplying or allowing the individual to be in the clinic for a certain number of weeks. And then it's like, I'm assuming, I guess you're done. And then we're going to go ahead and toss you out unless you have the money to be able to continue the treatment. And that
1: is just horrible to me. Well, here's the deal. Okay. Here's how stupid the insurance companies are. All right. This is real simple. This is what I lecture about. Okay. Addicts, they go to they go to detox. Mm-hmm. Okay, here you are. You're getting detox now. You're, you're in a fog. Now we're putting drugs. They call it detox. It's really not detox. They're stabilization units. Yeah, we're putting drugs in to get rid of the drugs. or to stabilize the drugs that are in you, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so your blood pressure gets evened out. You know, is somewhat stable, right? Then they 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 say, okay, now you got to go to treatment if you're able to go to treatment. All right. So now they go to treatment and they're still wheeling and kneeling in their brain from the drugs that they did to get off the drugs that they went in to begin with. Right. So by the third week or second or third week, they start clearing up a little bit and maybe they bond with a therapist and maybe they don't. Fourth week, they got to leave if they're able to stay four weeks. So what are we doing now? What they do? We see now, Addicts, they really learn now that their insurance card is the golden ticket. So when they want to take a break and they need three hots in a cot, they wave the old <laughs> insurance card yep. to the treatment centers. So now they go into the treatment center. They stay in there. They leave. They relapse. Two weeks later, they go to another one. Three weeks later, they go to another. And they keep going hopscotch down to each treatment center. Mm-hmm. Well, the insurance companies had half a brain. They would realize that, and there's research on this, by the way 60 to 90 days, depending on the severity of the illness, the client should be on in an inpatient program to give their brain a, a chance to at least clear up. Right. So they can gather the information, okay, that they're receiving. Then, after that, they need an aftercare program because you're in a protected environment. Now you got to be outside. In the real world again. Exactly. So we need a good aftercare program for them where they can start learning how to live life on life's terms. See, the addiction part, the drugs and the alcohol is the easy part. Now, most people say, oh, what do you mean? You don't know. No, I do know. I'm an addict. You know what the hard part was? Learning how to live life on life's terms. That was the hard part. Dealing with death. Dealing with, with people cheating you. Dealing with... Uh, no job, dealing with being homeless. Come on man. okay, you think drugs are hard? That's not compared to dealing with life, right? So if you there's a, there's a physician referral network, which is a program for physicians they, and the IPN and the PRN are, are um, programs that deal with medical um, professionals that use drugs, get caught or turn themselves in. Okay. They have to go to 90-day program and then a five-year aftercare, and they have a 90% recovery rate. Wow, that's amazing. So, hey, guys, why don't we just look at the research and start using our brains? See the way I would do it, okay? If a client went in for 60, 90 days, depending on the severity of the illness, if they relapse, okay, they could come back in for a re-op, right? Maybe a couple of weeks or 30 days, depending on the relapse. But then after that, they can't go to treatment for a year. Okay. Yeah. Any consequences, man? Exactly. Oh, you're exactly. killing people if, if they can't go to treatment. Now, going to treatment is one thing. Being present in treatment is a totally different thing. A lot of these kids, that go to treatment, they're on their phones. Or if they can't use their phones, they're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. They're trying to screw the girl in the next room. Uh, they're not interested. Their brains out to lunch, mm-hmm. yeah. And what they teach you in school, as uh, you know, as a, as a therapist, is not to share your personal information about your life with the clients. Wow. So let's read from a book. You think that's going to work? Exactly. You know, people need to be in rapport with you. They need to feel like you 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 understand where they're coming from. Now, I don't mean you have to be an addict to be uh, um, a good therapist. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, there's not too many good therapists, unfortunately. (laughs)
0: Yeah. You know, I
1: I remember a therapist, a young girl, I'm trying to teach her how to be a a halfway therapist anyways. So the client is sharing about their life and she goes, well, well, by the way, how does that make you feel? Oh, oh God. (laughs) I I said, listen, honey. You got to be shitting me. How do you think it makes it better? It would make you feel.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, these kids, they don't. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, when I went to college, I left. You know, what I did was I became a, a master's in NLP. I have a, uh, I'm a hypnotherapist. I'm an EMDR specialist, which is a trauma specialist. Uh, I have a certified addiction professional. I'm a, I'm a, a certified uh, criminal justice specialist. I'm a mitigation specialist. I have all kinds of special stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, I picked all the things that I thought really made a difference. And I learned all about nutrition and alternative medicine. And I'm going to turn you on a sub that I just got turned on to that blew me away. And I've been doing this for, well, I'm, I'll be clean now going on 38 years in December. Wow. Uh, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life friend of mine um, turned me on to this doctor. I have back pain because I've been in judo. I'm a karate guy for 60 years, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, too. And anyway, my wife has back pain. So, you know, when we, we go to this guy. He's a chiropractor. Oh, I've been a chiropractor. Some of them are good. Some of them are not too good. So he said, no, no, this guy's nothing like you've ever been to. I said, oh, okay. So I trusted the guy and I went. And it was the most incredible experience. The guy never touched me with his hands, number one. Uh, he did a couple of tests on me. Uh, one of the tests he did on me, which blew me away. He has me close my eyes and marching in place.
0: Hmm.
1: All I know is I, I, when I opened my eyes, I was six feet away and I was turned to the right. Oh. And I says, how did I get here? And I couldn't believe. It. So he's explaining to me how my body is compensating For my atlas that's out of alignment, what is the atlas? The atlas is the top part of your vertebrae that actually holds your head up. That's why they call it the atlas. You guys look it up. You're going to be very surprised what this thing does. And through the atlas, and also your nerves run, and also your blood supply to your brain and to your whole body. Well, we went and took an x-ray of my neck. I told him how bad it was when I came back. He says, the worst neck he's ever seen. So I laughed. So he says, "Uh, look, John, here's what's going on with your neck. The top of your neck is rotated to the right, and the middle of your neck is rotated slightly to the left. It's impeding your blood flow to your brain, and it's impeding your nerves down to your whole spinal column and into your major organs. I said, oh, okay. So he lays me down on this table. He shows my wife that one leg is shorter than the other, about almost an inch. He lays me down, and he has this machine. He calibrates. And this bar just not even hardly touches my neck at all. He shoots a frequency into my atlas, into my neck. You don't feel anything. All right? And then he has my wife walk around to the to the bottom of the table, and she says, look at his feet. They were even.
0: Wow. I get wow.
1: off the table. I have no more pain. My wife, same thing. Now, the next morning, I'm reading uh, a paper or reading something, and she said, oh, you want your glasses? I says, oh, wow. No, I don't need my glasses. Oh, wow. So I says, what the hell is this? <laughs> then we both noticed our mood was up. So we went back and we got, uh, you know, we go back and get a post x-ray. So he shows us what's going on. And when I found out that this atlas, okay, when it impedes the blood supply to the brain, it does a lot of things. First of all, it, it helps with the optic nerve. It also, when blood goes into the brain, and oxygenates the brain. Okay. And you know, oxygen's a medicine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So, when it comes out, it cleans the brain of all the toxins. When you repeat it, that doesn't work very well. So this works for depression, PTSD, anxiety, and all a whole host of other things. And I said to the guy, you know what? I says, I Dr. Pierce, I don't think you realize something. Addicts, we bring, we put addicts in treatment, okay, that have really real back pain. Bulging disc, neck pain, all this stuff. We take them off to drugs, and then we leave them back out again. And what do you think they're going to do? Wow. They jump right back on the drugs. Yeah. And if this can fix their, their mm-hmm. pain, the relapse rates will diminish.
0: Exactly. Wow. So this
1: is what I learned. So I'm going up on Friday, uh, on Sunday again, with about five people. And while I was in the waiting room, there was an NFL player in there. Mm-hmm. There was a, a guy that owned a bunch of medical centers. There was a guy that raises money for senators. Okay, in there. We all were talking and they all told me the same stuff. Now, either this guy has got a whole group that lies, okay, <laughs> including myself. Okay, oh, this is for real, man. This is like wild stuff. So I'm going to help him to uh, promote this. And it wasn't expensive. Uh, of course, the insurance companies don't cover it because they only cover the stuff that doesn't really work too well. Yeah. Because remember, we're walking cash registers for the for the insurance companies and for the uh, I mean for the um, pharmaceutical companies. Yes, sir. Because they, all they want to do is put a Band-Aid on something. So if you keep on buying band aids, they're in business. Mm-hmm. And it's only cost about I think about uh, seven hundred and fifty dollars. Oh. If you don't have the money, save up. And people say, well, how long does it last? Everybody's different. You can knock it out, okay, and you can knock it off kilter. Some seven years, five years, three years, two years, one year, some a month, some six months, some nine months, you know. And if that, you just go back and he readjusts you. But what is it worth to be out of pain even for six months? Yeah. With all the meds and walking around like a zombie and, Right, you know. I mean, come on.
0: And the meds, um, half the time, don't work, and then they put you on more meds.
1: Of course, because because the, the meds don't meds really work. work. <laughs> they just take the edge off. You still got the pain.
0: Exactly. Hey, John. What What's next for you as you continue oh, well, to grow? Because I, you got a I, lot. Of I stuff.
1: want to tell you, BF, <laughs> I'm so excited because before I was on with you, I was on with. I don't know if you're familiar with Captain Sandy. Um, sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's going to be my producer. I have another gentleman that we're going to hire that's going to do my uh, we're going to make a movie out of my life story.
0: Yes. I was going to ask you that. I'm like, your story needs to be
1: a movie for real. That is awesome. Yeah, that's what we're working on. And God, I, you know, let me tell you, put us all together. I don't know how it happened, Yeah, but it happened. And through friends and this one and that one, and everybody reads the book. They go the same thing. They said, "John, you had to make a movie out of this." And the reason I wrote the book and I bared my soul and and told all the stuff that happened. Let me tell you, writing this book, I was crying, I was laughing, I had to put it down for a month, mm-hmm. you know. And thanks to COVID, I was able to do it because there was nothing else to do. Yeah. So uh, I want to help people, and I wanted to realize, you know, in in the back of the book, I, I wrote something, and, and here's what I wrote. The kid from the South Bronx who never gave up. Here's my roadmap for positive change. There is one thing in the world, one special lesson, one constant that has guided me through the turbulent waters of life. This infinite rule, which most people know, but ignore who simply do not follow their life lessons. That is no matter what, no matter the circumstances, the obstacles, the people that get in your way, or things that slow you down, follow this one simple rule. Never give up on your dreams, never let go of your passions, and especially never give up on yourself or God of your understanding.
0: Amen and amen. John, this has been the most amazing interview I have done so far for 2022 you are a awesome man honestly oh my goodness it it is a blessing that you were on my show and a privilege and honor john thank you so much for being on wove inspiration and sharing such wealth of wisdom
1: well thank you for having me on and sharing this
0: with god's kids hey that's right that's right you guys this is althea with wove inspiration podcast You guys have an awesome day. Take care. God bless. Hey, this is Althea, host and producer of Wove Inspiration podcast. Wove Inspiration features women and the men who love them, who use their voice to share their stories of overcoming obstacles in life. Everyone has a story, some good, some not so good. The common factors for guests on Wove Inspiration are their solutions and their victorious endings. You can follow us and leave a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under Wove Inspiration. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other platform you listen to podcasts.